Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in lovely Greenville, South Carolina. I am your host as always, Stan McCune, realtor here in the Greenville area, and you can find all of my contact information in the show notes. If you need to reach out to me for any reason, that is the place to go. Look in the show notes. All of my contact information is in there. You can also, of course, just Google my name, Stan McCune, M-C-C-U-N-E. I'm sure that you will find a, a lot of information out there on me, um, a lot of ways to contact me that way as well. Uh, so feel free to go ahead and do that. And by the way, if you're a friend of the show, if you appreciate the content that I am delivering and if this is helpful for you, then I would just appreciate if you could subscribe to the show, could go ahead and leave a five-star rating in whatever app you're using. And I'm in, I have the show on a bunch of different apps, so you should be able to listen on pretty much any platform. Um, But leave a five-star rating. Please leave a short little review. Just take a few seconds out of your day to do that. That would go a long way with me. I'd really appreciate it. Today, we are going to be talking about owning the most expensive home in the neighborhood. What What does that look like when you purchase the most expensive home in the neighborhood? Because we've heard it say uh, many times, at least I have. Um, I remember before I became a realtor, I heard this type of sentiment a lot. You should never, ever, under any circumstances, purchase the most expensive home in a neighborhood. And um, the, the justification for that is, well, it's not a good investment. If you're buying the most expensive home in a neighborhood, then you, you know the thinking is you're overpaying. You're making a poor investment. It's just like if you go and you know if you're buying something at the grocery store and you just automatically pick out the most expensive thing, you might not actually be getting the best value, the most bang for your buck. And so that is the thinking behind that. And that thinking can be true in many ways. However. The way the market currently is, there are a lot of people right now that no longer have the luxury of waiting for a cheaper home to become available. I mean, I I hear people come to me every now and then um, that don't really understand the way the market is, and they'll be like, you know, I want to look at foreclosures. Okay, well, we're going to be waiting three, four, maybe five years before we start to see foreclosures. I mean, there is no evidence that there's going to be a foreclosure boom happening anytime soon. Um... And and same thing with even, uh, that's the extreme, of course, but even just looking at a neighborhood, just saying, okay, I don't want to buy top of the market for this neighborhood. I really want a house like this, but it's at the top of the market. I can't afford that. Listen, we're in a market where beggars can't be choosers, and buyers right now are the beggars. Um, and, and so the reality is a lot of people making moves right now have essentially no choice but to uh, pay for essentially the the most expensive house in the neighborhood, or at least something very close to that. Um, so, if the only homes that are available while you're in the process of making a move are exclusively the most expensive homes in those areas, um, is that a death sentence? Are you signing away your future by making that type of a purchase? All right, now let's back up for a second. For a huge percentage of the U.S. population, I don't, I don't have the number in front of me, but it's a very, very large percentage. Um, the Their primary home, the home that they live in, is their main investment. A huge percentage of Americans have essentially 
all their eggs, all their investment and retirement eggs in their primary residence. Now, maybe they have a small little 401k or something like that that their uh, that their work you know offers them, but they're expecting a lot out of their primary residence in terms of uh, in terms of that acting as an investment. And so for people that fit that category, if your primary residence is your primary investment in your mind, that's that's what you are banking on down the road as being something that that grows in value and that ends up being a major investment for you, um, you have to be particularly careful of the financials of that investment. Now, I have to say this, I am not giving investment advice. I am not giving financial advice. I don't do that. I'm not allowed to do that. I'm not qualified to do that. Get a financial advisor, get a financial planner, get an investment advisor. All these people that know what they're talking about when it comes to this kind of stuff, that's not what I do. This is simply my mm, ideas on how this all works from a real estate standpoint. This is my opinion. I'm not advising you to go out and make the most expensive purchase in a neighborhood or to not make the most expensive purchase in the neighborhood. You need to to find other people to help you uh, decide the financials of it. But I will say this, um, it is my personal opinion that if you don't have a lot of investments out there, it's probably a good idea to be particularly careful on your primary residence and making sure that that is a long-term good investment for you. And again, this isn't financial advice, but this is just a comparison. To me, I see this that, that buying the most expensive home in a neighborhood is kind of like buying stocks in a company when prices are at their peak. You know, like looking at, um, oh, I don't know, Looking at Amazon, for instance, you, you say, oh, I want to buy stocks in Amazon. Or, here's, a, here's a good one because I, I constantly, I've, I've heard even Elon Musk say that Tesla stock is too high. You go out and you buy Tesla stock uh, when it's at its peak. I don't know. I'm not a financial advisor, so I don't know whether you should or shouldn't do it. Um, but to me, that's the kind of a similar idea to buying a home that is the most expensive home that's ever sold in the neighborhood. Your upside is limited in terms of how the investment can grow. That doesn't mean it's a bad investment. It just means it has limited upside. It's not like, you know, if you're purchasing stock in Tesla, where the owner of the company is saying the stock is overvalued, that obviously has limited upside in comparison to investing in a startup. Now, investing in a startup probably has a lot more risk. Um, and, and so these are, are the things that you're considering in real estate. There are There is some overlap here. And again, I'm just making a comparison between the two. I'm not saying it is apples to apples. It's, it's a loose comparison. Um, in, the, in the simplest way to explain this, um, why there is limited upside to, to purchasing that most expensive home in the neighborhood is that, again, I'm, I'm oversimplifying things, but... Essentially, the rest of the neighborhood has to catch up to that home to a certain extent in order for the most expensive home to really start to gain value. And in some markets, it may take a while to catch up. Now, in our current market, it's not taking as long as it typically would. But reminder that our current market is an exception to the rule. It is not the rule. 
Now, it's, it's been a lengthy exception. We're not going on two years of the market being like this, but we know it's not going to last like this forever. At some point, it will have, it will have to slow down a bit. Um, I don't anticipate there being a major correction, but I do think that we will see at some point as interest rates go up, and boy, they are going up right now, um, we will see a a slight slowdown. It'll go from you know a 10 out of 10 frenzy to maybe a 9 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10, something like that. And so the levels of appreciation, you know, we talked a, a, a few uh, weeks ago on this uh, podcast about how the greater Greenville area saw a 20 to 21 percent uh, increase in prices uh, for real estate by the end of 2021 versus the end of 2020. Will that pace be able to sustain itself? Probably not. And so what happens is, again, for these homes that are the most expensive homes in the neighborhood, they benefit when the market is in a frenzy like this because then the rest of the neighborhood can catch up to them more quickly. But if the market slows down, that's going to negatively affect those homes. That's just something to keep in the back of your mind. Um, all that to be said, for those who on the flip side, or sorry, uh, not on the flip side, but for those who don't have investments or retirement uh, outside of their primary residence, for, for those who are really, again, have all of their eggs in the primary residence basket, my personal opinion, not financial or investment advice, is that a lot more caution needs to be exercised when purchasing the most expensive home in the neighborhood. I just said that a few minutes ago. I'm just going to reiterate that. It is not a yes or no. It's not a black or white. It's been presented as a yes or no or a black or white in the past. You shouldn't ever do it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there needs to be caution exercised. I would also say this. You need to be prepared to stay in that home for several years before you really see it grow in value. Now, you already have to stay in a home for for two years or more, um, and again, I'm not an accountant, but for tax purposes, that's an important detail. Uh, consult your accountant for more details on that. Um, but beyond that, like if you're buying the most expensive home in the neighborhood, really, in the ideal scenario, you should be prepared to stay there, I would say probably five years or more, just to be safe. And that's assuming that there's not some kind of a recession or something like that that happens. If you need the flexibility to be able to move out of that house within two years after you move in, um, be be especially cautious. You should be cautious no matter what. Um, you should be especially cautious in that instance uh, that you don't overspend on the house. You need you you need to to take the extra steps in order to make a safe purchase in that instance. All right, now. On the flip side, when we're talking about those who don't see their primary residence as their largest investment, people that that perhaps have other rental properties, people that have other types of investments, whatever they may be, um, I would personally, my personal opinion, again, talk to your financial advisor about this, but I would personally think that, that those are the people that are a little bit safer off buying the most expensive home in a neighborhood. And there are some logical aspects to this as well. For instance, if you're looking at houses, let's say you have a certain, you know, minimum criteria, and that criteria is right on the line of putting you in 
a certain class of neighborhood that is kind of on the more affordable end of the spectrum or a more expensive neighborhood that's not on the more affordable end of the spectrum. The house that you're looking for is kind of, you can see homes in both types of neighborhoods that make sense to you. And 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 let me, um, let me say it this way. Perhaps you see homes that would work for you that fit your criteria that are in both production-built neighborhoods and in more custom-built neighborhoods, if that makes sense. you In those instances, you may actually find that the most expensive home in one neighborhood that is on the more affordable end of things that fits your criteria is substantially cheaper than a comparable home, a very similar home in another neighborhood that typically has higher prices. So if your primary goal is simply moving to improve your lifestyle and you're not as focused on the investment aspects of your primary residence, and by the way, this is true for for ultra-wealthy people. Um, I have read multiple times over and over again that the world's wealthiest people, they don't see homes as investments. They see them as places where that can enrich their lifestyle, but they don't purchase a house in order to have it as an investment. So it's not like this is some very odd idea. This is actually an idea that even very wealthy people have. You don't have to view your home as a as an investment tool necessarily. Okay, there there are other considerations, and we've talked about that on the show as well. So, if you're primarily focused not on the investment side of your primary residence, but are more focused on having a house that is an upgrade to your lifestyle, you want a nicer house, you want a nicer neighborhood, you want to be closer to work, closer to your kid's school, whatever the case may be you might actually get the most bang for your buck by purchasing the most expensive home in a cheaper neighborhood than a virtually identical home that would be the the cheapest or maybe middle of the road in a more expensive neighborhood. And I'm not just talking theoretically. I see this dynamic at play all the time. And so even though you may have limited upside on the the home's long-term appreciation if you purchase that most expensive home in the cheaper neighborhood, your initial purchase is lower than it would be if you went to the more expensive home and then just purchased kind of a middle-of-the-road type of, of, of option there that is comparable to this other home in the cheaper neighborhood. Okay, that's a lot of words. Let me try to illustrate this. In, in a way that hopefully will will make sense in non-real estate terms. Let's say that you're looking to purchase an SUV. And you want something that has uh, uh, you know a ton of features, you know, massaging seats, Apple CarPlay, um, you know, level two self-driving, all these different things. Um, and it needs to fit, by the way, if, if, if I'm recording this in February of 2022, if people are listening and it's like, you know, the year 2025, and you just heard level two self-driving, you're probably laughing. Um, anyway, right now, level two self-driving, my understanding is that's that's pretty good for uh, for the year 2022. Um, anyway, so you're looking for all of those things, but you don't just have an unlimited budget, right? You, you have to operate within the constraints of your budget. And so you cast a really wide net, right? You are willing to look at Toyotas, you're willing to look at Kias, you're willing to look at Fords, you're willing to look at 
BMWs, at Range Rovers, etc. And to make sure that you're comparing apples to apples, you only look at cars that have the same features and that are highly rated by, you know, Motor Trend, Edmunds, websites like that that are popular. And so you find something interesting as you're doing this research on, on these different cars, on these different SUVs. There are a handful of fully loaded Toyota SUVs that exactly meet what you are looking for, all the features you're looking for. Um, and, you know, they're essentially the top of the market for those Toyota SUVs. And they're essentially comparable in terms of, of features and space and all of that to middle-of-the-road BMWs or, or Range Rovers, except that the Toyotas are substantially cheaper. Um, so you're getting the most expensive Toyota, in essence, but it's comparable to a middle-of-the-road BMW or Range Rover, but still a lot cheaper. Okay, you get that? Um, so you end up getting what you're looking for, and you end up paying less on the front end by getting the most expensive Toyota versus going with a mid-range, you know, European make and model. Um, but eventually, you get tired of the Toyota after a few years, and you decide, okay, it's time to sell. It's time to, to move on, upgrade, whatever. And you realize that there aren't as many people looking for a Toyota with all of those features that you have. Most people that are looking for Toyotas are just looking for a family vehicle. They're not looking for, you know, something that has all these massaging seats and, and you know, all this, uh, you know, uh, self-driving automation. And now, and by that, by the time you sell, that, that self-driving automation is so much better that yours is actually, you know, kind of far behind in comparison to those. Um, and so, in the end, you go to sell your Toyota, and you find that most of the market, for the, the price that your Toyota, in theory, should be worth, most of the market would rather just pay a little bit more to get a comparable BMW or Range Rover. And so, you end up not selling it for as much as you think you should in the end, because most Toyota owners aren't willing to pay extra to have those unique upgrades that we have. That is... The situation that is with cars, it is comparable in many ways to the situation that we find with homes in nicer neighborhoods versus not as nice neighborhoods. Okay, so to, to go back to that analogy for a second here, did you make the right decision or not? That's the question, right? Was it the right decision to buy the Toyota that was cheaper on the front end but also didn't sell for as much on the back end? Or should you have gone with the more expensive car on the front end, that would then sell for more money on the back end. I'm not going to answer that question because it, it depends. It depends on your situation, right? Um, everybody's situation is unique and different, and there's a lot of factors that go into buying a car, just as there's a lot of factors that go into buying a house. Now, I can't help you with buying a car. I can help you with, with buying a house. Um, we talk through those situations, and again, I encourage you to to have a, a team of people that you talk to. I sometimes I have clients that they want to go back to their parents and talk to their parents, or talk to their. Um, and if it's uh, older people, they might want to talk to their children. I always encourage that type. Make sure that everyone is on the same page. Make sure that you have involvement from a, from a team of people that you're not just on an island trying to make a decision. As long as you realize that it's a hot market and you can't just pray, you know, for a week uh, and, and asking for, you know, Gabriel 
the angel to come and, and tell you whether to, to buy the house or not. Um, this is a market where you kind of have to make a decision quickly. So I am, as, as long as that is kept in mind, I am firmly in the camp of we need to make educated decisions and have as many people involved as possible to help you make that decision. Don't feel bad about that at the end of the day. Because this is not an easy decision to make, right? You're, you're looking at all these different houses and it's like, okay, do I go ahead and jump up? I can afford it. Of course, this is assuming you can afford it. I can jump up into that more expensive community or I can just sit tight in this more affordable community, but I'm buying a house that you know most people might think I'm overspending for, but it is cheaper than the more expensive neighborhood. Okay, so what are some of the considerations to consider uh, when we're doing this outside of what we've already talked about? All right, here's one. Most people like to do a lot of improvements to their homes. Um, and, and that varies from just simple painting to, uh, you know, full remodels of, of kitchens, bathrooms, etc. Now, if you've already bought the most expensive home in a neighborhood, you have to be prepared that those improvements are not going to add much value to your house. They're just not. Why? Well, uh, this gets into neighborhood dynamics. Um, and, and before I get into the neighborhood dynamics, one thing um, that you should know that most people don't realize is that you very rarely get one for one, one dollar for one dollar back for every improvement that you do. Very rarely. And if you go on, you can Google this, uh, and and there's a lot of information out there. But most improvements, um, it, it's like a tremendous amount if you get back for seven, seventy uh, percent to or sixty percent back uh, in a value of what you put into something. So if you remodel a kitchen for, you know, a really nice remodel, $100,000. If that adds $70,000 to the value of your home, that that would be typically on the higher end of what type of value you just added with that improvement. Most people don't realize that. They think, oh, if I improve my kitchen, if I put $100,000 into it, I just increase the value of my home by $120,000. No, it's actually the opposite. You have You have lost money more often than not. Okay, so let's reel it back in here for a second and go back to the neighborhood dynamics at play. Um, the reality is, good or bad, people put a lot of stock in the neighborhood. Now, sometimes people make very poor decisions uh, based on the neighborhood dynamic. They'll they'll take into account things like ethnicity, uh, things like you know the general income levels of the neighborhood, things like that. That me as a realtor, I encourage people not to focus on those types of things. Those There are some great people in great neighborhoods that don't necessarily match, that might not necessarily match every single demographic aspect uh, or every single demographic category that you fit in. And so you should be very careful when assessing a neighborhood on the basis of those things. I don't encourage people to do that. Um, but at the end of the day, you need to consider, okay, what type of a home, what type of a neighborhood is this as you're improving it? Because if you, for instance, make improvements that would be, for instance, to that mirror like a downtown Greenville 
type of uh, high-rise condo. You make those types of improvements to your home out in rural Fountain Inn, something like that. Is that going to be the right type of improvement for that type of house? Is that going to be uh, an improvement that's going to attract a buyer down the road when you come, when you go to sell the house? Is the buyer that's looking for that type of kitchen or that type of style of house, are they going to want to be moving out to rural Fountain Inn or are they going to be looking for that type of, of property in downtown Greenville? That is a, a part of the consideration. Not That's not the entire consideration, but that is something to consider. That's part of the neighborhood dynamic. If you put something in your house, if you do something in the home that is... Uh, inappropriate, for lack of a better word, inappropriate for that area, it's not going to be attractive to a buyer for that area, then that is where you're going to run into problems. And so you you have to also consider, okay, as I'm moving into a neighborhood, I'm looking for this type of house, you might say, you know what, I can make this house fit what I want to do. I can make all these improvements that I want to make. But just as I said before, you're not going to get dollar for dollar back um, if that if those improvements are really, really non-conforming to the rest of the neighborhood, um, then no matter what the dollar spent is, it's going to be something that's going to cause problems for you in terms of the home value down the road. But even an aside from, let's say that you're putting a more downtown style uh, kitchen into a house that's in a more rural subdivision, even aside from that, okay? Let's say that you don't do some kind of a weird modern type of uh, type of style that would kind of be more unique to a downtown uh, type of condo. Let's say that you just sink a lot of money in general into just a really nice uh, a really nice kitchen, really nice master bathroom, whatever the case may be. You go with the modern, you know, magnolia trends, uh, the farmhouse style that's really popular around here and pretty much any types of home. Let's just assume that you do that. And again, this is for a house that is the most expensive house. You purchased it as the most expensive house in the neighborhood already. So keep that in mind. That is an important backdrop to this. And then you took that home that was the most expensive home in the neighborhood, and then you sunk another $100,000 or so into making these really nice but really expensive improvements. To get the full value back for those improvements, you would have to find a buyer that's willing to pay an even bigger premium than you did in a neighborhood that may not be their first choice. And at that price point that they would have to buy at for you to get that money back, they're going to have to, they're most likely going to have nicer neighborhoods to choose from. Let's just be honest, right? You have you have sunk $100,000 into remodeling and you're hoping to get okay maybe i get 50,000 of that back well even that even adding you know in in our greenville market here even adding $50,000 let's say that you paid $400,000 for a house that's in a neighborhood with an with a median price point of 290 300 something like that you paid 400,000 um, now you're you're expecting someone to pay four hundred fifty thousand in a neighborhood that has a median price point of three hundred thousand. 
that's going to be a hard sell because there are going to be other neighborhoods where the median price point is 450000 or maybe 500000 or maybe even 400000 where just the neighborhood, it might not be a production-built neighborhood. It might have, you know, those established trees and, and you know, more custom-built homes. They're now, at that higher price point, going to have more options and and probably your house is going to suffer from it, even with that really nice remodel that you did. Oh, and I haven't even mentioned yet, we've talked about this in previous episodes, I haven't even mentioned yet that most appraisers will penalize you for what they call over-improving a home. And that is, those are two words, well, I guess it's, it's technically one word because it's kind of it's like a hyphenated uh, compound word, but um, over-improving your home, that is, those are words that you never want to hear from an appraiser. And guess what? You know how I feel about appraisers if you, if you listen to the show. Appraisers are constantly on the hunt for over-improved homes. They do not like to see a home that has improvements that do not conform to the rest of the neighborhood. Does the rest of the neighborhood typically have renovated kitchens? Then they're going to want to see your kitchen renovated. Does the rest of the neighborhood not have renovated kitchens? Then you're not doing yourself very many favors by having a renovated kitchen. They're only going to give you, they might give you 25% value for that in an instance like that. Um, and so that's a whole nother element. If Even if you have a buyer that's like, yes, I will pay $450,000 for this house in this neighborhood, in this condition, now we need the appraiser to also agree that it's that it's worth that. And the appraiser is is really going to struggle with a home that was already the most expensive home in the neighborhood when you bought it. Then you did a whole bunch of improvements on top of it. Good luck. That you're you're going to find yourself in a bind in that situation more often than not. Again, to use the car analogy, all right, to go back to this, if you already bought the nicest Toyota available and then you added a bunch of custom features to it, you know, lights underneath the car and, you know, new rims and um, I don't know. I'm not a car guy. You, 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 you lowered it, you know, and, and made it look cool, cooler. You know, you're trying to emulate like the Fast and the Furious or something. Um, you're... You've done all of these custom features and up, upgraded it. And now, in your mind, it's like, okay, this is like nicer than a Range Rover. You're not going to be able to get Range Rover pricing. You're, you, you're, if you're lucky, you will find a buyer that just really wants that souped-up vehicle. But you're never going to get the money back that you put into it. You would have been better off just buying the nice car at the beginning more often than not. So, at the end of the day, is it a bad decision to purchase the most expensive home in a neighborhood? Again, it is neither yes nor no. It is. It ultimately comes down to your short, short-term and your long-term plans. If you don't, uh, again, have much by way of retirement, other investments, etc., my personal opinion, which isn't financial advice, is that you should probably consider that the most expensive home in a neighborhood is rarely a good investment, okay? It, that's rarely going to, to be something that you look back and are like, wow, that was such a great investment. But there are exceptions to that, right? There are exceptions, but you need to keep that in the back of your mind. Usually, it's not going to be the best investment. 
Um, now, if you aren't sure you're going to be in the house for several years um, and you need a certain bit of flexibility, again, it's risky uh, to assume that the neighborhood will catch up to your home and drive up your home's value in a year or two if you're in that most expensive home in the neighborhood. And so, you, so you have to consider that as well. That's that's a another part of this investment consideration. It, it's safer if you're definitely thinking that you'll be in the home for a longer period of time. Again, as we've already discussed, you also have to consider how much you like the neighborhood. Is this a neighborhood you could see yourself being in um, for a long time? If you feel like you would just be a fish out of water in that neighborhood, or you're just, you know, you just see that there are so many rental properties in that neighborhood, you're you're not interested and being around a bunch of rental properties that aren't being kept up by their landlords, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that might be something that is a major consideration. You may really regret that purchase down the road. And so that is something, and, and that's something you need to consider re- regardless of whether you're buying the most expensive home in the neighborhood. You need to get a read on just kind of the neighborhood in general. I always encourage people you know, drive by a few times, look around, see see what it's like in the daytime, see what it's like at night. Don't just assume during when you do a showing, don't just automatically assume, okay, this is the way it always is. It it might not always be that way. And and you can't you can't get every variable handled in your mind. You you can't account for every single variable, but you can account for for many of them. Um however all of that to say, if you're finding yourself outpriced in other nicer, more established neighborhoods, more custom neighborhoods, looking for what you need, your your criteria cannot be met within your price point at these more custom neighborhoods. And at the end of the day, you're comfortable with the neighborhood that isn't quite as nice as those, and you're able to find a house that's at the top of the market for that neighborhood that fits what you're looking for. You can find great value in purchasing the most expensive home in a neighborhood like that. You may actually find yourself buying a much nicer home than you ever thought that you could because you're sacrificing a little bit on, you know, again, living in a production-built neighborhood versus living in a more custom neighborhood. There is some great value to be find to, to be found if you're willing to. Uh, to make some of those sacrifices, and and at the end of the day, you're comfortable with that. And so it really comes down to your specific situation. Again, it's not a black and white. It's not a yes or no. What are your short-term and long-term plans? What are you trying to accomplish with this real estate purchase? How much of an investment do you personally consider your primary residence? You have to look at all these things holistically, and I'm happy to help you with the real estate part of it, Um, I know financial planners and accountants and whatnot who can help you with the other aspects of it to make sure that you take a a holistic perspective on all of this. And uh, and between all of those things, we can determine if you're making the right decision or not by purchasing potentially the most expensive home in a neighborhood. Thank you guys for listening. That is all I have for this week. All of my contact information, again, is in the show notes. Please leave a five-star rating. Please leave a review. And I will talk to you guys once again here next week.